Welcome to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast. I'm your host, Brian Russell, and today it's a joy to have a longtime friend, Dr. Brian Taylor, on the show. Brian is the founding pastor, along with his wife, of Every Nation Cincinnati Church, which explicitly identifies itself as a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, and black-led church. And one of the things that we're going to learn from Brian is the importance of having that vision of being multi-ethnic as a really non-negotiable value rather than simply an aspiration. So we'll talk about that. We have a great conversation. Brian has a background beyond planning this church. He also helped Pastor Tim Johnson start the Orlando World Outreach Center back in 2007. And prior to that, he was working in campus ministry for Every Nation Campus Ministries on several campuses in Nashville, including Vanderbilt, Tennessee State, and Fisk University. Brian's a outstanding leader, and you're going to really enjoy this interview. I know that I learned a lot from listening to his story. Uh, He reflects on what it means to be an African-American leader, as well as what it just simply means to, to lead well in today's environment. I look forward to sharing our interview with you today. Welcome to the show, Brian. It's so great to have you today. Well, great uh, being here. Well, we've Thanks known each other. Yeah, we've known each other for uh, over a decade now, and uh, we always joke about how we really connected in my Old Testament class. And I was teaching when I was talking college football that day. Um, can Can you share what happened from your perspective? And again, that you were you would uh, well actually yeah, just tell that whole thing from your perspective. So, if I remember correctly, the whole uh, illustration was built around um, just how Israel against the Assyrians or something like that, I believe, uh, and just the unlikelihood of them being able to on their own strength overpower. And so I'm tracking along and just like, yeah, okay, I'm tracking. This is okay, right here. And then he said, it's sort of like Vanderbilt football going to the University of Florida and beating them. Now, Usually that would be a safe analogy being that we were in Florida when he was making that analogy, but it just so happened I was a uh, former football player at Vanderbilt University. And so when uh, I I heard that, uh, I would have been offended if it wasn't so funny. And uh, (laughs) so I just just remember like, um, excuse me. Um, as a former Vanderbilt football player, you know, I don't know how I feel about that illustration. And, uh, and I remember uh, watching you just, uh, I don't know if you turned red or if it was just, it was the funniest thing. I know, I don't remember much about that day, but uh, I do remember that um, we had a, a pretty good laugh about that. And so now every time I, you know, see you and get a chance to catch up, that old story comes to my mind. Yeah, I'm actually feeling embarrassed just remembering that now. I think I feel like I'm, my hands are getting hot and sweaty right now. It's just that's, that was that was so funny. And you know, you've been a great friend to me. I mean, you were good to me when I was having my. Uh, actually, I mean, I talked about my divorce on my podcast before, but I mean, you were a great friend walking me through there. We used to get smoothies, and so I've just always been grateful uh, uh, for you, Brian. So, and and that's and, and what a great way to meet somebody too, right? So. <laughs> See, see, you had you you owed me a smoothie, a smoothie hangout time after that. So yeah, I sure did. Yeah, that was uh, good. No, I'm just. I, I tell you what, one of the things that I love about my seminary experience 
obviously the learning was great and it, it definitely laid some foundations for future ministry, but just the relationships and um, just getting an opportunity to not just know you as a professor, but to be able to call you a friend and a brother in Christ. That's definitely a joy. Yeah, that was, that was a real blessing. And, um, you know, when you look back over uh, your life um, and what, what would you say have been some kind of key moments that led to your um, embrace of a call to ministry? And, and now you and uh, your wife have been serving together there in Cincinnati for some time now. So what, what if you were going to kind of break things down, what were some key moments in your journey? Sure. Um, you know, it's interesting, you know, when you get a chance to look back and see along the way, you don't always see it as it's happening, but you see along the way how God used certain people in certain situations as instrumental. Um, one, one of the big um, situations, first of all, I was, my parents became Christian short before, shortly before I was born. And so I was blessed to be able to be in a household where faith was not only taught um, and spoken about, but I had a chance to see it lived up close and personal. Um, but even with all of the, the good influence from my parents and growing up in church, um, spiritually, just many ways, hanging on by a thread by the time I went from high school to college. And it's not because I ever stopped believing in God, um, but it was because I just didn't know how to reconcile everyday living and truly living and following after Jesus. Um, I don't know about you, but most of the circles that I was in was not circles where people were just praise the Lord, hallelujah you know, thank you, Jesus. It was a lot of other stuff outside of that. And so by the time I got to college, I can remember um, this guy who would do Bible studies with us on the football team over at, uh, in Nashville. I remember I got invited to go out to a conference my sophomore year of co college. And I was blown away because I saw people as passionate for God as I was about football. And, and I remember just saying, listen, I don't, I want to be all in. I, don't, I just don't want to be, I'm kind of there and I'm kind of not, I'm kind of for Jesus, but I'm kind of not. And, and I remember, you know, depending on your theology, I either recommitted or, uh, or, or fully gave my life to Christ at first, depending on what background you come from. But I really believe for me, that was a moment where God took all those experiences growing up and he brought me to a place of saying, Jesus, here's the keys, I'm, I'm, I'm both feet in. And, and from there, um, my life has been a vocation of yes. Mm. You know, okay, I want you to go. And um, over time, God began to confirm to me that full-time vocational ministry was what he had for me in terms of campus. I, I worked a lot on the college campuses and um, there's a unique story surrounding that as well. Um, and uh, you'll have to tell me which stories to to, to, to not share too much of, but I can, I can remember in that story, just how God just over time began confirming. And when I went into full-time ministry, because of what I experienced a few years prior, my response was, yes, Lord, whatever you want to do, I'm, I'm all in. And, you know, there was a time I went from Nashville to Orlando to be a part of a church plant and okay, yes, Lord, whatever you want me to do. And then Orlando to start our church here in Cincinnati. And so Throughout, the wet, throughout my, my journey, there's been different moments where I had, um, I've, I've heard or sensed the call of God to do certain things. But as um, I believe it's Os Guinness that says this, our first calling is to him, mm -hmm. is to God. And when I made that um, yes, when I said yes in, in college, I didn't know all of what I was saying yes to, but I knew that if, if Jesus said go, then my response was going to be 
whatever you say, I'm all in both feet. And, and so I just call it, I've been in a vocation of yes ever since then. Yeah, I love that. Um, and what about some mentors? You've had some really good mentors in pastoral ministry, even, you know, outside of, uh, you know, out of the seminary, but like, what, who have been some of the real mentors that have helped you in your work with uh, the Every Nations movement? Yeah, um, you know, um, I, I've had so many people who poured into me at some level growing up, but when I got to college, I remember um, there was this um, campus missionary his name was Mike Gowans. He was actually introduced to me by another guy named Franco Gennaro. And, and I can remember um, he would invite me to do these Bible studies. I really didn't want to go, but I figured I felt bad because none of my other teammates were really showing up. So I figured I'd do him a favor and at least show up so he wouldn't feel so bad. And uh, God used him. And, wow. and, uh, and what's interesting is that our background was so different. You know, you wouldn't, have looked at us in the natural and said that there's a connection that's gonna be there. Um, it is, I mean, his style, his music, his ethnicity, everything was different, but I just saw something in his life that he was a genuine follower of Jesus. And I just, you know, at that stage of my life, I just was happy for anybody that was willing to help me because I had some real challenges and I needed someone who I could ask real questions to. And he was just somebody who was there. And um, we, we've remained friends even to this day. And then um, later on, towards the end of my college career, I got to know a guy named Tim Johnson, Pastor Tim. And uh, he's become a, a close, close friend and um, mentor in my own life. Um, what, I, what I appreciated about him was that there's parts of his personality that kind of feel like larger than life. He's, you know, he's a, physically he's big. He played D lineman and, at Penn State and then in the NFL for 10 years. And um, he was uh, in, you know, at the time in Nashville, he was pastoring a large church and he's uh, pastoring a, a great church as well right now in Orlando. But what I appreciated about him was that he never, it never felt like he was too busy to spend time with me. Yeah, it's a and, great lesson. And, uh, yeah. And I, I remember I said this to him one time because, you know, the church that I went to in Nashville, we would have you know, these fam literally famous people that would go there and, you know, these, and then these big time apostles and leaders, you know, and, and then you have me, right? You know, people like me who I felt at the time, I'm just this college student. And, and I can remember I asked him one time, I said, hey, you know, it, it, it seems as if you're as, it's like, you know, the strange thing is that all these people are here, but, you know, you just, it seems like you're excited when you see me. I remember he said this to me, he said, Brian, it is no less of a privilege for me to talk to you than it is for me to talk with anybody else that's here. And, and I remember that stuck with me. And I remember thinking, mm -hmm. if I ever become a leader in that way, and even now, I want people in, in, that I get a chance to interact to feel that way with me, that he's never that busy or important, that it's not a big deal for Brian to speak to them. So so that that taught me a lot and so we've we've maintained that relationship through the years and um and then it was uh steve merle one of the co-founders of our every nation ministries uh, many others as well i could say people like rice brooks and stuff. but he was the one who really encouraged me to take that next step and get in a doctor mm -hmm. and um and really he used a lot of his credibility as a seasoned minister that's kind of proven himself in the, in years past 
that's opened up doors for me to be able to minister in spaces and in places that maybe I wouldn't have had access to right away. And so um, there's just different people like that who have been instrumental in my journey. That's fantastic. And I love that, what you just said about uh, what about Tim, about it's a privilege to speak with every with any with you just as much as anybody else. What a powerful takeaway just from that one thing. So thanks for sharing that. That's what a great mentor that would be to even to see that uh, from and from uh, from a person who could just be uh, again, I, I knew the name. I think I got you introduced me to him one time in Orlando. And that was really cool because I was an old Redskins fan or I guess they're, they're called the, they have a different the Washington football team or something. Yeah. I changed the name, I think. Right. But uh, right. But he's back there with the Joe Gibbs era, and that was that was such a cool thing. And he was, uh, I remember him being super nice, and uh, that was so. Uh, that's what a model that is. So thanks for that. And and you you know, and you've 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 done that too. You've you always come across as uh, very friendly, very kind, very helpful. And I think that's carried uh, through, and it says a lot about the persons that have trained you. And you know, now you're in Cincinnati. You've been there for um, how how long have you been uh, in your church in Cincinnati? Uh, you know what? This summer it'll be eight years. Well, we started in 2013 yeah. in the fall. Yeah. So, yeah, we're coming up on an eight-year anniversary, which is crazy that it's been that long already. Yeah, really. Yeah, and and uh, you're close to the University of Cincinnati, and you know, I pulled off the website. I thought it was, you know, you it's kind of self-described right now as a multi-ethnic, multi-generational, black-led church loving the people in the city of Cincinnati to reach the world. Uh, yes. That's awesome. Can, can you kind of unpack that a little bit and, and, and what that means and how you are incarnating that there in uh, Cincinnati? Absolutely. You know, we, we think about the city and we think about the world, you know, so we're both local and global. We want to, yeah. we want to, we, we, we think and act locally because we are concerned about the real needs and the real challenges and the real things that are happening here locally, but we always keep an eye towards the nations and, you know, in, what that brings us back to is that Acts chapter one, verse eight, you know, at the beginning when Jesus is talking to his disciples, um, you will receive power to be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and even to the remotest parts of the earth. And so uh, we, we're always looking for opportunities to figure out how can we better love and serve the people in our city? And how do we help reach the nations that are in our city? And so when you see us talk about multi-ethnic and um, multi-generational, those have become a little bit of a uh, buzzwords now, right? Yeah, that people yeah. kind of throw in, you know, um, and, and but, but for us, it's not simply a wish list of, hey, we'd be, it'd be nice to be that, but by the grace of God, we've seen from the very beginning at the core of who we are has been a diverse community. And that's reflected in our leadership. Um, I have the privilege of serving as the senior pastor but I'm not running the show as a lone ranger. You know, I've got a team around me. And, you know, what I love about our team is that you have um, different ethnicities represented. Um, sometimes, you know, I can't tell, do we have more black people or more white people? I don't know, just maybe depends on the day, you know. <laughs> um, but now we're starting to see, okay, we have Filipino, we have other Latino, you know. So, so we want to be a multi-ethnic um, not just in the way that we're presented, um, not just in the way that we look, but yeah. also in our presentation. You know, one of the things that, um, you know, learning about um, is the difference between a, you know, an assimilated multi-ethnic church versus an integrated multi-ethnic church. And we want to be in a, uh, an integrated multi-ethnic church where um, 
we are all bringing who we are to the table, mm-hmm. you know? So in our music, in the different people that are brought in to, to preach, in the, the in, in learning how to listen to different voices around the decision-making tables have all kind of shaped how we do what we do as a multi-ethnic and multi-generational. And, um, you know, we're a church that is intentional about reaching the next generation. I know I've been asked at times, are you guys just a college church? And I I always say it like this. No, no, we're a church that's intentional about reaching college students. But I believe in order to reach any generation well, it takes multiple generations to do it. Because um, young people don't just need to be around other young people. They they need the, 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 the older generations to mentor and to encourage and to bring wisdom. But I believe the older generations need the energy, the excitement, the faith of the younger generations. And so, you know, we, we want to reflect that. And, and honestly, for us, it's actually taken uh, longer to see the generational diversity than it took to see the, the ethnic diversity. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think we're starting to see it now. Um, I don't know, we've been in COVID here lately, but as much as we've been able to see, we can t- we, it, it, it looks as if we're reaching multiple generations. And I'm encouraged about that even during this pandemic. No, that's really good. I mean, I, I had the privilege of, uh, or my, my congregation I grew up in wasn't diverse in any way, but it was the, the one blessing was that we had all these age groups. And so I, that, that was, uh, and I had old people that knew my name, um, you know, youth pastors and that, that was, um, that's that you don't see that as much. And I haven't seen that in any church that I've actually been part of for, for a long time that legit just kind of had the whole piece there. You said so much that was um, so powerful. And it was almost like matter of fact, what you just said, because, you know, most churches would say they would want to do exactly what every nation Cincinnati has been able to do. So how, how, um, and, and you planted, so you actually had this idea versus trying to take a church that already wasn't something to try to change. So how do you embed the kind of DNA that you just described that's going to be intentionally um, uh, multi-ethnic, multi-generational, but um, yeah, and you said that took the longest part, but I mean, the multi-ethnic piece itself is remarkable in some ways too. So mm-hmm. is it is it your personality that because, um, you know, you're a very good leader, you know, you're able to go into campuses being a former football player. So does that help? Is it, do you have a system? I mean, what, what do you think allowed you to, from the, you know, apparently early on, be able to embody that piece and then continue to grow? What, what tips would you have for other leaders? Yeah, that's a great question. You know, one of the things I would say is, um, you know, and this is to borrow a, a quote, I believe I first heard this from Chris Johnson. Um, who's a good friend of mine was part of my doctoral cohort. Um, But if you want to have a multi-ethnic church, you got to start by having a multi-ethnic life. Yeah. And and one of the things that was really helpful for me was that a lot of my relational networks Mm -hmm. were very diverse. You know, I think about, you know, whether it's the relationships I formed at Asbury Theological Seminary, uh, the relationships I formed as a student athlete, the relationships I formed um, in our Every Nation ministries. And so when when I'm looking at people who are wanting to hear about this vision, invest in the vision, and even some people who want to come, I'm starting with a diverse group, not simply because I was trying to figure out, now we need a white person. Now we need an, an Asian person. No, no, it was, I just look around the people that I'm already connected to and my life reflected 
a diverse yeah, life. Good. And so I think that um, that happened. I can say this, um, we never hired anybody because we felt like they were a different ethnicity or, or it just, but it's amazing how God just literally built the team around it. I, I do think that preaching um, early on to our, our, our team and to our, you know, to the people around us that, Hey, this is, this is what's on our heart. And this is a, um, almost to a point where diversity within our church is not going to be an optional piece that if we get, if we get around to it, then we get around to it. Mm -hmm. It was that this is who we're going to be. And, and I realize along the way that there may have to be some decisions that we have to make to uphold that value, even if it meant that our church would have to grow at a slower pace. Yeah. You know, um, we, we've had good growth as a church, but we've just, we've not kind of, you know, those churches that it seems like, man, in, in a year, bam. Yeah, you know, yeah. 2,000 people, where they all come from? You know, um, that's just not been our story, but we've had steady growth, but we, we've grown in a way where the different ethnic groups and makeup has grown as well. And then I think, um, I think along the way, there comes a point where you have to ask yourself, um, is this a good idea or is this a conviction? Mm -hmm. Because there are points where in leading in a multi-ethnic context is not easy. I yes. can tell you during yes. the 2016 elections, it was not easy. Yeah. You know, when um, a lot of, um, a lot of things would come up in the news that were, that had racial undertones to it. Um, that was not easy because, um, you know, when you're just in this, in, in the service together, it's, it's, it's easy to say, okay, well, Hey, you know what? Okay. You like this kind of music. I like that kind of music. But when things happen that come up on the news and, and compounded on that is the fact that there's social media where people get a chance to see what other people really think and believe that's where the tensions start arising. And the question yeah. becomes in those, on, in those moments, is this really worth the headache? And um, how I would address an all black congregation may seem different than how I would address a congregation of very diverse um, ethnicities and political views. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and um, I have to ask, are, is it worth it? You know, I think about, you know, even this last year, you know, 2020, some of the things that have gone, gone on from, you know, George Floyd to, uh, Ahmaud Aubrey, and those are just some of the popular names. But we've had things that have happened right here locally in our city here in Cincinnati. Um, not to mention, you know, with everything um, that's kind of coming to the surface that has been happening for years towards our Asian American brothers and sisters in Christ. You know, and so these are all pieces that we look at and we say, okay, sometimes we may not address everything, but we have to be willing to lean into difficult conversations. Yeah. And, um, and sometimes people are like, I liked you guys up to that point. And, um, but I don't, I don't know if I like the whole idea of us talking about these type of things in church. And, and I can respect that mm -hmm. because it's easier not to, right. but I just believe that this is just as much about the kingdom of God. And I think these are issues that matter in the kingdom of God. So they have to matter to us as well. And, um, and we don't have all the answers as a leadership team. That's why we have to learn 
how to listen well. And uh, one of our sayings that we, we say here quite often is from the temple to the table. You know, how do we let our relationships not just be that we can meet together, but how do we eat together? Yeah. How do we get to know each other in such a way where I'm not just speaking to people who represent a group, but I'm able to listen to who you are and you're able to listen to who I am. And through that, together we can reflect something in the kingdom of God that um, I don't think that we can to the same degree if I stayed in my own echo chambers and you stayed in your own echo chambers. So. That was fantastic, uh, Brian. I think you should write a book, honestly, now that, because that was so well said. And I love the phrase. And I want to, you used that language um, and I could play it back the tape and get it, but I want to, I want you to say it again. You said there's a difference between, was it believing in something and having a conviction that I don't think that was the phrase. How did you phrase that? Um, you know, I was saying that there's a difference between this is a good idea. A good idea. Yeah, yeah. And this is a conviction. And, and then right there, I was thinking, you know, um, some of the language I like to use with anybody is um, I like I, people like I should do this. I should do that. And I always say, um, no, you shouldn't. You, you either make it a must or just don't do it. And I think I'm hearing that in the oh, sense yeah. of um, so this diversity, oh, we should be more diverse, like every pastor in the United States <laughs> is probably going to say that with, right. with a, just a couple of exceptions. Uh, um, but but how many say that we must do that? And I'm hearing you that the way that you've been able to build this congregation is this, this is this is just a must. It's a, there's a line here and this is who we're going to be, period. And therefore, we're going to do the things that we need to do. Again, you've laid this out. In a very. I love the temple to the table language, uh, worship. What did you say? Meet together and eat together, I think. Right? Yes. Is that the other phrase? That, that was so that, that was that was so good. Um, Yes, you know, so, you know, so I guess the next the next question just rolls out of that, and you've kind of touched on this. Um, mm -hmm. So okay, here you are. You're every nation Cincinnati, and again, I love the name, and I didn't like how I should have said that already. But that you know that well, then you have this this whole vision for multi generational. Um, you, you know, you're, you've your name in that black lead, and we we talked a little bit about before we got on here. But what are the mm -hmm. unique challenges? And you have this vision. So what are the unique challenges that you faced as an African-American or a black pastor and leader trying to live out this, um, this vision that, in, that includes um, all persons? Yes. Um, you know, maybe I can set up the answer by just giving you a little a, a story that I can remember yeah. from years ago. This is before I ever planted a church, but I was working as a campus missionary, working on college campuses. and, and uh, I remember I had an opportunity to speak to an, an older African-American pastor, um, someone who we had known in our family for years. And I was talking to him about my dream of, if I ever planted a church, this is what it's going to look like. And I start sharing the vision of, you know, diverse and different nations all represented. And, and he said something to me that was very sobering. He said, son, black people will follow a white pastor but white people will never follow a black pastor. Mm -hmm. um, now, there, and, I, and I've heard that said in so many different ways since then. Mm -hmm. um, now, obviously, while that statement was well-meaning and it did come from some truths that have happened, yeah. um, I, I've seen the opposite of, opposite of that as well. But, I think where, where that comes from is the idea that 
um, for, for, for some people, and, and I realized this as a pastor, that there is a, a hesitancy to really know if they can really trust black leadership. Mm-hmm. And, and so now what that does for me, now I know it kind of seems like, man, you're over talking, over speaking it. It's not that. I've actually had people who've been willing to be at least vulnerable enough with me. And I've appreciated their, their honesty mm-hmm. that they were saying, you know what? I, I see you, you preach the Bible. I just, it's just really nervous about what, you know, African being a black pastor, I've never been under a black pastor. And does that now make it a black church? Does that mean now going to a black church, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and so there's that credibility sense of, you know, that feeling of I've got to prove credible enough mm-hmm. to someone who is not African-American as to why my leadership is such where you can trust it. Mm-hmm. When, when I've talked to some of my white brothers and sisters in Christ who have been leading in multi-ethnic context, I think one of the biggest issues with, with them that I've seen is how do I share power? I think for me, the question becomes, and other people who I've talked to, this was actually part of my dissertation as well, is how do I, how do I build enough credibility with people outside of those who look just like me to feel like they can, they can trust? And, um, and I've seen this play out, not just in ministry, but in other areas of whether it's business and, you know, you can study even some of the presidency of um, Obama as well and see some of the same factors, not to the same scale, but some of the same factors of, you know, do I, do I have to dress a certain way? Do I have to be careful of how I speak? Do I have to use some of my big seminary words, you know, to, to prove that I'm smart, you know, right, right. That, you know, so, so those are, it sounds silly saying it back, but yeah, yeah. those are really some, some challenges. And then the question becomes when things like Ferguson come up, is the concern that if I bring this up, is this going to be seen as, oh, see, there he goes. You know, if, if, if I show sympathy for that, mm-hmm. am I now considered, oh, you just gonna gone down the whole critical race theory and you are, you know, you've kind of been swept into the liberal agenda. And, you know, so those are some of the things that people are already coming in concerned with before I open my mouth. And, um, and, and I know that's, I know that's not just things that I've had to deal with. I know that that's what a lot of people have had to deal with as well, that um, as I've been in conversations and interestingly enough, we were speaking to some PhD students and, um, uh, I remember a guy from Sri Lanka saying, this is the same exact dynamic that we have there. Mm. Now you're just dealing with different tribes versus, you know, the whole black, white kind mm-hmm. of dynamic that we have in the United States. Um, but then from other um, African-Americans, there's a, there's a challenge as well, because quite honestly, one of the things that you, you know, don't want to come across as is a sellout. Right. You right. know, like I've... Um, I've watered down my ethnicity in order to feel palatable to others around me. 
you know, and so, you know, and it's funny sometimes when I'm having conversations in, in rooms full of pastors, you know, when they'll talk, they'll assume, oh, he's a black pastor, so it must be a black church. Mm-hmm. And we do have a black church that's also a white church, also an Asian church, yeah. you know, because we, we're, we're just not that. And so sometimes figuring out where we fit, you know, where I fit as an African-American leading a diverse church. Um, don't know if I fit fully in this group of, of leaders that are leading predominantly white evangelical churches, uh, or if I fit in this group of clergy of African-American pastors that are leading predominantly African-American churches. Um, and so sometimes you kind of say, I don't fit in either one perfectly, but I think I can relate to both well. Mm-hmm. And, um, and so I hope that makes sense the way that I'm articulating it. But, um, but those are some of the challenges that I've seen kind of fleshed out is the credibility. How do I, how do I deal with some of these issues that come up in our culture? You know, and how do I speak in such a way that I can communicate my heart without running people away that maybe don't quite understand why I feel to the degree that I feel? Yeah, no, that's a really helpful answer. And uh, thanks for, for sharing that. And the thing that comes to mind, at least as I'm just thinking about that, I mean, so how, how do you yourself then lead in terms of you staying grounded and you just named a bunch of um, pieces? So in a sense, you, you run into somebody and you have to be open to them. Um, but, you know, you may be thinking, oh, this is, a, you know, this, this guy's going to think, you know, if it's regardless of the ethnicity, you're like, you, you, you have to resist making assumptions that they're going to be judging you in some way. So you have that whole piece. So how do you stay grounded spiritually and stay so open to people without feeling like, you're getting constricted because I'm, I'm almost thinking if you took your church and drew all these Venn diagrams of all these different pieces, you just said you got your, you, you can almost say you're like in this little small little piece where all these circles are coming together. So, so what, how do you stay grounded, Brian? And how do you stay so open and so um, charismatic or, is, you know, cause I'm, you know, I'm guessing that's how, that seems like that's how you really are. I've known you for a long time. So how, how do you, how are you able to maintain that given what you just said or the challenges? You know, <clears throat> One of, one of the things that I've, has, has been, you know, a, a prayer that has been fairly consistent in my life is, Lord, help my heart not to become hardened in yeah. ministry. Yeah. Because I think there is something about, you know, there's a lot of amazing things that we get an opportunity to see mm-hmm. firsthand. Mm-hmm. But then we also are, get a front row seat at some of the, the issues and the dramas and the frustrations um, that people have. Um, and sometimes you feel misunderstood in leadership, um, in ways that maybe you just didn't have to deal with, you know, in other places. And in the midst of that, it's like, God, please keep my heart from being hard, hardened, um, towards people where I just stopped caring about, you know, some people will say, you know, you lead, sometimes you just got to lead and you just don't, you don't, don't care what people say. You just lead. And, and I understand the sentiment and what they're after in that but maybe I've just not graduated to the point where I don't care how people feel. I don't care to the point where I'm willing to compromise truth, but I still care. Right. Right. Um, you know, I, it, it still matters to me. And so, um, and because it matters, I want to, want to do a good job of listening. Um, 
I think the the discipline of listening, um, and I mean that goes from my own emotional time, and, and I can elaborate on that here down if you want me as well. But just learning how to listen to Scripture well, um, training myself to listen to the Holy Spirit well, listening to my wife well, because my wife will, uh, you know. She loves me, but she'll speak honestly as well. And I appreciate it. Sometimes when I'm trying to hear the voice of the Lord, um, sometimes it, it sounds a lot like my wife's voice. <laughs> and uh, not and that's not to be sacrilege. That's just a reality that I believe that sometimes God's wisdom comes in the voice of my wife. And, um, and, and, and then I try to stay close to, you know, our team and, and to our, um, the people in our congregation that I'm listening well. And um, I think if I can continue to grow in that, um, the grace of listening, um, I think that helps me to stay grounded in what God is wanting to do in my life. And so it's, it's important that I give myself time to quiet my soul before the Lord on a daily basis um, because I can get left on my own. I don't always wake up like, yippee, I'm a, I'm going to serve people, you know, that's just not always the natural bent that I have when I get up in the morning and I need to be in the presence of God to allow him, you know, you know, you talk about that GPS. I need to, <laughs> I need to, to recenter and align my, um, um, my whole thinking and attitude and desires and motives. And, and that's giving me, that's, that's taking time to listen listen to the word, listen. And that's not putting it on, you know, audio Bible and just listening. It's, it's reading it well mm -hmm. and, uh, and allowing room, Holy Spirit, if there's anything that I'm missing that you need to speak, speak it to me. And uh, one of my prayers as well, Psalm 139, that prayer, search me, O Lord, know my heart, test me and know my anxious thoughts, see if there's any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. And so that's, that's a pretty, you know, consistent prayer of mine as well search my heart lord um keep it from becoming bitter and hardened and callous towards people um and i think by the grace of god he's he's been faithful to that prayer and has helped me and when i get off you know it's like it doesn't doesn't take long for the holy spirit to start convicting you know and uh, because i believe that i'm in a vocation of yes and it's like, Lord, yes, then, okay, okay, let me repent, let me realign, and let me continue doing what God has called me to do. So figured you'd appreciate the whole GPS alignment. No, know. I got that. And just, you know, I was just, I'm just really grateful. I mean, I always like, you know, you, you've called me over the years and asked me, it's, you know, it's a, it's, well, you know, you, you, you've served, it's always just, a, it's a blessing to have been able to have some, you know, part in somebody's life. And so it's, I'm glad that you like, I mean, those are the, probably the two best things I've ever come up with as a professor is a GPS and the realigning thing. So I'm glad you remembered that. Those are my fair parts. But I just want to, I just want to say that was, that was a fantastic answer. And, and I love, um, I mean, I just, I mean, wow, that was just, so, that was so good. Um, the whole thing about listening and, you know, and, and, you, and there's, there's these tensions as leaders, we have to lead and right. So at the end of the day, you have to make certain kinds of decisions, but you're leading, but still listening. Um, yeah. You're resilient, but that doesn't mean you're closed off to other people. I mean, all those things. And you just articulated just a really beautiful way that I, I think actually gave uh, 
go back and listen to that whole piece and invite people just to rewind and listen to that little clip there because you just framed out yeah. start with prayer um ask the lord not to get the, to, not, to make sure your heart doesn't get hard and then you talked about you know you're not just asking the lord but then what are you doing you're listening talked about your wife your community scripture and so that's just um i mean that was that was really helpful so thank you for that and um speaking of your wife and uh uh you you're both lead pastors there at every nation so not only you're you're married but your wife's a, one of the leaders at the church too um what what have you learned about leadership working that closely with your wife and what are the challenges of being kind of a clergy couple in the same context yeah you know so what's been interesting is that when when we first got married, my wife was a college basketball coach. Cool. You know, yeah. she, you know, I, I played football at Vanderbilt, but she played basketball there. So wow. we, you know, kind of came from athletic background. And, and so what was always interesting is that we always, even though we work, when I started working in campus ministry and she started, and she was in college coaching, um, even though we had different jobs, our, our work still aligned. And it was amazing how much value she brought from her world into my world, working on with campus ministry. I mean, that helps for your wife to be one of the coaches, yeah. you know, when you're trying to reach people on the college campus. But then me being able to bring um, some of my experiences to her world. And so every place that we've gone and every, you know, vocation that she's partaken of, um, we've always seen there's been distinctions in what we do, but alignment in what we do. So as we get to um, Cincinnati, um, you know, for that first year, and I give credit to my wife for this, that first year, she was willing to say, I'll take a back seat and hold it down with the family. We had our third child shortly after we moved here to the city. So um, new city, new baby, uh, new church. It, it was just, and, and, and that consistency at home was so helpful. Um, you know, she has, I, I tell people, I was like, you know, actually my wife was the best volunteer that we ever had, you know, cause she's never gotten, you know, financially compensated for anything that she's done, but she's always been right there next to me mm -hmm. um, leading. I mean, there's, there's not a leadership decision that I make for the church. That's a big decision that I don't get her input on and her wisdom on. Um, she's part of our executive team. She serves there. Um, but on her day-to-day -day job, she's actually gotten into Montessori education. Mm. So she's actually a school teacher. Um, and so she, um, she's a school teacher, but she holds a lot of, um, responsibility and she, uh, a lot of sacrifice. That's why when, you know, I'm, I'm fortunate to experience a pastor appreciation, she's right there with her sacrifice along the way. And, and, and she's a leader within her own right. She's not just a leader because she's, my wife, um, but she's a leader because God has graced her in that way. Um, she's a gatherer. She's she's very charismatic and leadership driven. What I have learned though is that um, that I, I had to learn this early on when we got here because there's not too many rule books in terms of how your wife is supposed to act or what is she supposed to do as the wife of the pastor. You know, what is she supposed to do? How is she supposed to be referenced? What is her, her job? For me, it's pretty clear. Um, and, and so I think early on, what I found myself doing was looking and saying, oh, this is Pastor so-and-so, and this is how his wife did it. 
or this is how this person's wife did it. And so in some ways kind of imposing expectations on her that I don't think God put on her. And so I remember, um, and she's a, she's a great communicator, but I remember saying, are you going to preach? When are you going to preach? When are you going to preach? And, and, and she's preached like once or twice. And finally she said, Brian, I, that's not, no, if I, I, I can exhort and do some other things, but just to be honest with you, um, don't ask me. <laughs> Stop asking me to preach. You know, just like I don't. You know, and and me thinking, oh, you're you're my wife, and you know they need to hear a voice of a woman, so you should preach. And I think that was me imposing on her expectations that um, were not necessarily from her or from God, or maybe not even from the church but probably just what I thought she was supposed to do because she was my wife. Mm -hmm. And I think I've grown over the years, hopefully I've grown over the years of being able to um, allow for her gifting from God to dictate how she serves in those areas versus uh, me imposing, hey, you're the wife of the pastor. Hey, you're one of the lead, this is what you do. And so she's been able to lead in her own way um, and in her in her own gifting, and I think people have appreciated that, and our church has been blessed because of it as well. That's good. It's a good word. What gives you hope for the future of the church? Jesus is Lord. Um, yeah, yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm 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 saying that kind of in, in joking, but obviously that that is a truth that both of us would hold dear. Um, because so much is said about, you know, man, this is, uh, is the church ever going to recover from COVID? You know, is the church ever going to um, recover from this, from the political and uh, racial divides that we've seen? You know, is it like, what's going to happen to the church? And then you remember, and then it's like, oh, what's going to happen to the church if, you know, what if our... What if our, our 501c3 tax status, tax exempt status, what if that's taken away? What's gonna to happen to the church? Is the church gonna lose all the money that we need to, to be able to go forward? And, and, and right as I'm about to start worrying, I start remembering some church history. And I think this is where church history is, is actually helpful for, for a present day. It's good. Is that uh, <laughs> we're not the first generation of believers that has had to deal with divisiveness. You know, think about the political, I don't have to tell you, I mean, you're a Bible scholar. I mean, the political and, uh, you know, geopolitical climate where the church was birthed out of, you know, it's like, I think it could probably hold a candle to the divisiveness that we see in our world today. Um, you know, it's not like there was this huge trust fund that was there that they all had kind of like, okay, Peter, here's how you're going to make your living. And, uh, you know, Mark, here's how you're going to make it. No, they, I mean, it was, uh, <laughs> we step out of, like, so there's a, there's a history of, of, of how Jesus has led his church through the most tumultuous times. Mm -hmm. There was this thing called the Black Plague. You know, there, there were other, you know, um, pandemics that have taken place in the world and the church has always survived. Um, and so I think as I look to the future, I look at the fact that um, not only is it true that Jesus Christ reigns, um, but what I, what I believe is that 
some of the things that we see happening that, and, and I, I would be lying if I didn't say, hey, there's some things that are a little bit concerning for me. Um, but in the midst of it, I believe the church has been growing, yeah. you know? Now we may say we don't have as many people that identify as Christians, but I mean, I wonder if everybody who would check the box of Christian anyway in the past was really the type of Christianity that we really should be celebrating anyway. Um, you know, um, I, I think I heard Ed Stetzer reference this one time. I don't want to misquote him, but just that he's saying, really, it's the mushy middle that is starting to, to be evaporated in the, in the body of Christ, at least here in the United States and in the Western culture, where people would just, oh, yeah, I'm a Christian, just to say, now you don't hear that. But the amount of those who are really looking to put their faith into action on a day-to-day -day basis and reading their Bible and following the ways of Jesus as best as they know how, um, that's actually grown. People are still, even for us during this pandemic, people still gave their life to Jesus. People mm -hmm. still got baptized. Um, the kingdom is still advancing. And, um, and so I have hope that, um, that Jesus is not in the control center panicking somewhere like we've never seen a pandemic before. We've never seen divisiveness before. We've never seen the government be at odds with the church before. But no, no, we, the faith was birthed in, in those type of um, adverse climates. And, uh, and I think perhaps, perhaps for us that um, Jesus is using this as a way to help use that term again realign us greater yes. into his mission yeah so. yeah that, that's that, thank you that's a good that's a good word and you now i also appreciate that you know you, you've always you've always um you've always appreciated your education i know we, we've we've talked consistently since you moved um since you graduated from down here and i know you've got your doctor of ministry and then you're just talking about your church history class so so as a person who's um appreciates their you know, their seminary education if you could add a class that you wish you could have gotten um, at Asbury or whatever seminary, what 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 class would you add? Or, or perhaps you could say, "Oh, Asbury is the perfect seminary." But uh, you know, <laughs> yeah, there we go. <laughs> but what what would be a class that you would add, given what you've learned in ministry? Yes. Um, well, let me just say this: um, one of the most helpful classes that I did have was like the inductive Bible study courses. Um, that, that was transformational in uh, my approach to scripture. Now and you're making what, me really happy, of course, but. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, I figured, I figured you might appreciate that, but I'm not just saying that because you're there. I mean, I, I, know, I really, I know, I know. you know, you, um, Dr. James Miller and, yeah. and Dr. Donjel, you know, um, yeah. probably know him up in Wilmore and, and others, just really learning that was, was helpful. Um, my only regret is that I didn't take more of those classes um, because I have found myself now continuing to use that on a week-to-week -week basis in my own sermon prepping. But in terms of, here's one thing that, I, um, that would be really interesting class that I think would be helpful is leading and ministering in crisis. Yeah, yeah. Um, whether it's national crisis, personal crisis, um, maybe your church is going through a crisis, um, you know, I guess that would be kind of in the leadership field, but, um, 
what does leadership in crisis look like? Because um, the last year and a half has felt like leading in a crisis. Yes. And um, even if it's not a crisis to you individually, there's enough people around you that are experiencing it. And, um, and, then, and then maybe as part of that class or its own class within itself is um, developing a theology of lament. That's good. You know, I think um, as, as a church, I, th I think maybe we've not learned in all parts of the church. I, I, there's always exceptions. What kind of biblical lament? What does that look like for us to lament well? And um, obviously, as Paul says, we grieve not as those without hope, but it doesn't mean you're not grieving. Right. And, um, you know, and so I think that would be an interesting class to really allow for people to develop a robust theology around lamenting. How do we hold that intention with walking in victory as believers? You know, praise be to the, you know, Lord and Father of our Jesus, Savior Jesus Christ, who leads us into triumph, you know? Well, okay, yeah, he leads us in triumph. So how do we how do we hold that together? I think there's enough in scripture that speaks to that um, because I think that maybe we would be better equipped for moments and seasons like what we're in right now. It's good, it's good. Well, you know, I wanna thank you for your time. I always have like three questions I always ask everyone before we get off here. And you kind of answered the first one because I, I usually ask about what, what keeps you grounded? What are your formational practices? I think you sort of answered that. I don't know if there's anything else that you do on a kind of a regular basis, but you did mention your prayer and your listening and your scripture. Are there other spiritual practices that you practice on, or that you do on a regular basis that, that help you? Yeah. Um, you know, um, fasting, you know, yeah. um, my flesh does not like it at all, you know, but, uh, <laughs> um, but, um, you know, just having regular times, uh, not every week, but right, at right. Least on a monthly basis. And, and, um, and that is, that is good because it's kind of like hitting a reset button for me, you know, mm -hmm. and, um, and then having, um, so I have my own individual time, but one of the things that we do as a family from time to time is, and I say time to time, cause I don't want to give the appearance as if I do this every day, you know, I don't do this every day. Um, but if I get a chance to do this once a week, I'm doing pretty well, but just having the whole family, my, my three kids, you know, ages 14, 11, and, um, seven years old and, you know, well, and just taking a book of the Bible or a passage of scripture and just working through it together oh, nice. and, uh, reading by reading scripture inductively with my family, wow. not as a preset, here's my three points that I'm going to hit. And what I find is that my kids are really tuned in to asking great questions and, you know, seeing, and, and just the joy of, of revelation, revelational discovery, you know, with my kids, that always does something for my own spiritual, you know, vitality as well. And so, um, I love it. That's a great practice. Um, now, now here's the really hard question. Since okay. uh, as, as, a, as a lover of books, 
and learning. <laughs> uh, so if you're going to name, I mean, not counting the Bible, uh, so because of yeah. course that's the central one. So what are two or three books that have really shaped you deeply per and been personally helpful for you over the years, would you say? Yeah, you know, okay, so I've, I've got one book even right here that I'm, awesome. I'm going to show you. Um, and uh, this is an old school book. It's uh, Roy Hessian called The Calvary Road. Have you ever heard of that book before? You know, I actually haven't. I don't, I don't think so. Yeah. Right yeah, down. it's a, um, you know, it's, <laughs> he, he, he talks about um, really just what it is to, to truly be broken before mm -hmm. the Lord. Wow. And um, I don't read it every year, but every so often I'll pick this book back up. Yeah. And uh, it's going to, it cuts, you know, the kind of cut that feels good. It's like, ouch, but amen, you know? Yeah, yeah. So uh, it's one of those kind of, it's a short, easy read. Wow. Um, so it talks about walking in the light with your brothers and sisters. So that, that's a book that I've recommended quite a bit and I've read a couple of times. There's been so many other books that have been um, transformational in terms of at different stages of my life, but um you know, there's a, a book, it was, it was written by, um, was written by Stephen Mansfield. Um, it was called Then the Darkness Fled. It was a book that was a biography on um, Booker T. Washington. And just seeing some of his practices and disciplines, he was a very disciplined man. And I think in his own time, he was misunderstood by many, um, even by other African-Americans. Mm -hmm. um, but I just remember just being inspired by that and, and just seeing just the way that he was very regimented and intentional. Um, and some of the things that he had to overcome, you know, that um, it wasn't an overt Christian book, but it was a book that I found to be very helpful. That's good. And, uh, you know, I'm trying to think of, um, geez, I mean, there's so many books that it's almost hard to, yeah. get you, I feel like if I pick one, then it's like, well, what about that one? That was just as, you know, so I'm, I'll just leave it at those yeah, two for right good. now. That's good. That's good. I mean, that those came right off out of the heart there. And that's what I'm always looking for. Like, what are your, what are your favorite books? And, and then if people want to connect with you, how do they, how do they find your church? Do you, if you have social media, I mean, what, what would be some ways that people want to reach out to you that are listening? Yes. Um, so, um, so our, we have a website. Um, it's just every nation, Cincinnati.org. And you know, you can go in there and, and listen to sermons or find out some of the things that we have going on. Um, we've got this big food and faith fill up happening this Saturday. We're going to be giving groceries away to the community. So those are things that they can find. And then um, we have, um, and then on social media, um, my, you're going to laugh at my handle. My personal handle is Brian L. Dot Taylor. You know, DOT? DOT, yeah, because my middle name is Lee. Okay. So uh, a nickname I used to have was L Dot. Okay. So Brian L. It's the least professional, you know, handle that you'll have. But it's 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 uh, where I am. But then we also have with our Every Nation Cincinnati, um, just Every Nation Cincy, C I N C Y, 
Um, you can um, find us on Twitter, um, not, uh, find us on Instagram, I'm sorry, Instagram and on Facebook. Okay. We're, we're pretty active there and, you know, putting out different content. All right, and I'll put I'll put all those in the links along with the books that uh, Brian recommended. And and Brian, just thanks so much for the generosity of your time. I'm always grateful to speak with you. Thank you for following the Lord's call, uh, being a real witness, and appreciate the the real uh, wisdom that you shared with all of us today. Well, absolutely, and uh, and I certainly appreciate you. I, I know you would never say this, but uh, but I, there's been many times I've called and just wrestling through a text or a passage or just something here in, in, in church leadership. And you've been a, a good friend and, and, uh, and very, very helpful as well during those times. So to be able to get on your podcast, I definitely appreciate it. Yeah. Well, it's, 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 it's a, it's a blessing and I hope here's to a long, maybe well, an all eternity friendship. Right. So uh, yes, yes, indeed. Good. So well, anyway, thanks everyone for listening all the way to the end of this episode and until next time, live by faith, be known by love and be voices of hope. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to the Deep Dive Spirituality Conversations podcast all the way to the end. If you found this episode particularly helpful, would you share it with your network and or leave a review to help other people find it? If you want to find out a little bit more about the guests or find links to resources mentioned during the podcast, check out the show notes. And if you're interested in finding out some information about my uh, forthcoming book in late 2021 on Centering Prayer, please check out centeringprayerbook.com. If I could serve you in any way, reach out via email, deepdivespirituality at gmail.com. Until next time, be a blessing to someone today.